Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and good afternoon. My name is Lisa Harding. I'm one of the directors of primary care at Wessex LMCs and I'm delighted to be talking to Matt Perkins, who's the business manager at the Coastal Medical Partnership and one of our practice managers supporters. Um, And the topic that we're going to cover this afternoon is online access to the GP medical records. Um, Matt, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. So just a, a really, before we start, I, I guess perhaps a, just a, a quick overview of the programme. So just a reminder that all practices are contractually obliged to offer prospective record access to the patient, unless the patient, of course, has decided to opt out or exceptions apply by the 31st of October of uh, 23. So patients will be able to see new records from that date that have been filed or entered onto their record into the clinical system. Um, Now, the change doesn't give access to historic health records unless this is individually authorised by the practice. Um, Patients will not have access to view administrative tasks or communications between practice staff. Um, And the change only applies to those patients age 16 and above. Access for those patients that um, uh, become 16 will be automatically granted. So, Matt, um, I understand that you've already gone ahead with access, so we'd be really interested to learn a bit more about your experience. And I just wondered, just to start us off, if, if you'd mind telling me a bit more about your practice and, and um, you know, how many patients you have, which clinical system you use and so on. Oh, yeah. Um, thanks, Lisa. So very briefly, we, we're kind of large practice of 33,000 patients. We're spread across four sites down in the New Forest. Um, and we are a uh, TPP system one practice. So all on a single instance of system one. Okay. Okay. Great. So, so tell me then um, about your sort of decision making process in terms of how, why, when you decided to enable access. And, and then perhaps we can talk a little bit more about how that went and what your experience has been. Sure. I mean, we originally we were all told, I think, that we would be going live from the 1st of November 2022. I think it had been delayed prior to that as well. So we had already ourselves got up, we had already got ourselves geared up, I guess, to go live on the 1st of November. It was then delayed um, until February. But I, I think partly the reason, I'll be honest, partly the reason we went live is because we'd already done all the preparation work for November. So it seemed um, kind of straightforward um, enough to go in February. So we went in that kind of first tranche, um, apart from the pilot uh, practices, we went in that first tranche, tranche in February. I guess thinking about kind of why more specifically we went, because I'll be, again, be honest, we were, like everyone, like many practices, have been quite apprehensive about, um, you know, what would happen if we opened access to our patients and kind of, thinking about them coming back and um, asking us to change consultation notes and all the rest of it. But once we broke it down and actually talked about it, we felt this was probably actually a kind of reasonably positive move. Um, What we looked at initially was how many, and this is at that time, um, patients already had online access. So nationally at that point, 45% of patients already were using the online services for at least one function um, of which we were around the same percentage. Um, at that point, 12% nationally of patients already had detailed access 
Um, and that was to records retrospectively, not just prospectively. Um, we're at about 25% at that point. So a quarter of our patients already had detailed record access, not only prospectively, but going back um, to you know a couple of years and in some ins- many instances right back to um, to birth. So um, we kind of we were already in a position where we were having to be careful what GPs um, or anyone entering information into the clinical system wrote, um, and um, you know would it be um, would it be a big change? Second thing we looked at was um, that actually certainly from a system one perspective the online system that System 1 provides is, is, is not good. Um, it's quite complex. It's a little bit archaic in terms of getting patients onto it. Um, and so actually, if we could get patients onto the NHS app instead, um, then it would save us uh, quite a lot of workload from a reception perspective. We quite like the NHS app. It's it's reasonably good. It it does quite a lot of things, whether it's obviously from COVID passes as they were through to requesting meds and seeing and now being able to see everything in one place. We felt that was something that would be um, really, really good. Um, And uh, particularly from a GP perspective with um, and again, reception perspective with test results and patients being able to look at test results rather than phoning in. So lots of kind of benefits we felt would happen. What we didn't quite sign up to um, was the benefits. We went to various webinars prior to going live and I absolutely loved the benefit that they kind of displayed on one um, PowerPoint slide. I'll read it out. It said um, that we'll have increased staff wellbeing from greater patient partnership and patients being able to take more active participation in their care. So, well, that was probably pushing it a little bit too much, but we felt generally that actually um, this could be a positive thing, um, though we were still a little bit apprehensive about some of the um, some of the reaction and some of the feedback we might get about patient records. So that was okay. kind of why we um, why we decided to do it. Great. I think that's a really good summary. Thank you. Um, I know that that there are, there are some concerns out there. Um, one of the main concerns that we've heard people talk about, one of the main concerns that's been raised by the BMA um, is safeguarding. So I think practices are understandably nervous that um, there is potential for perhaps a patient who is subject to coercion or there are particularly sensitive entries on the record around safeguarding issues that they may inadvertently miss that somehow and that might become available or viewable. Um, so I'd just be really interested to know what what sort of process did you follow to just reassure yourselves that uh, you'd you'd enabled access appropriately for, for patients and what did you do about any any patients where you felt there might be safeguarding concerns? Okay, so yeah, it's a good question. So I guess there's two areas there. One is around um, potentially blocking patients before we even went live um, in, t- in terms of their entire record. And then the second bit is around ensuring that everybody was aware of how to block entries moving forwards for those who have access. So you're absolutely right. Initially, we were very keen that actually we had to watch out for either patients who are unable to keep their records secure, perhaps with coercive partners, that kind of thing. 
um, that patients who by CNA record could have, there could be a risk of harm, those with severe anxiety, those kind of patients, um, or records um, that could put someone at risk in terms of looking at access, seeing access that could lead to escalated violence, those kind of things. So big safeguarding concern, absolutely. So we sat down with a, um, got a clinical team together, someone from each, a clinician from each of our sites, and looked at um, who we would um, look to kind of block and put these 104 codes on. We actually ended up, we're 33,000 patients. We did end up with actually putting around um, blocks on around 600 patient records. So it was quite significant. We did those with personality disorders, psychotic disorders, safeguarding codes, um, suicide intent or attempts, um, and schizophrenia. So that's who we chose um, to block. I know there's some system searches available that seem to return tens of thousands of patients. I mean, one search we looked at was not far off half our patients. They were suggesting we might block. We certainly didn't do that. We broke it down um, much more. So we were pretty confident that all those on our safeguarding lists and its pieces we actually blocked. Um, we haven't had any problems with that since if they've, if they've then gone and requested access, because obviously they can't have access at the moment, we've taken those on individual cases. Um, we certainly haven't, it hasn't been an, an issue with suddenly having to book people in for lots and lots of appointments who've been requesting it. We haven't experienced that at all. Um, the other bit then in terms of uh, making sure that ongoing patients know um, sorry, staff know how to make um, everything invisible. That was a really key part of our training. We did training sessions with every single member of staff, um, and that was a key part of, of going live. Um, we obviously had talked to them about why we were doing it, what the, pushing the benefits for our staff, um, make, make sure they're aware of what the patients can see, and then telling them who we've blocked, but then the key bit around how to make things invisible. And obviously there's a load of guidance on the Wessex LMC site, including videos, um, one by Will Howard, who's one of our GPs, um, in terms of how to do it on system one. And I think Laura did one on EMIS. So there are videos there on, on, on how to actually make things, um, how to redact things and make entries invisible. And that, you know, that was crucial. So in that sense, um, we were reasonably happy that um, we were um, kind of protecting ourselves quite well great okay thank you that's really helpful and i suppose the other bit is new patients as they join the practice so with a practice your size you must get quite a number of registrations on a daily basis um and do you have a process in terms of sort of screening or checking those records or or does the if they've been coded i think it's a 104 code does that carry through from a previous practice if it's been applied uh, so no, we do. We um, all our registrations team are aware of the the codes, um, the the categories of patients that we've picked, and they will check that with um, with the GP um, once as part of the registration process to see if those codes need to be added. Um, so from a safeguarding perspective, um, obviously they. A patient, when they register, will only have prospective access from when they register. So nothing will be on there from previous. Um, so that's not so much of an issue. Um, if the patient then 
which they will often do then say, oh, I want retrospective access, then obviously we can do that in the normal way as we used to. Certainly on system one, there's a, like a, a, a risk assessment checker that will go through their record and highlight if there are any flags, safeguarding flags, for example, that are on there. So the system kind of helps you with that. Um, but obviously, as I say, the key thing is when they register with you, it doesn't matter because they're only getting prospective access from when they register. Great. Okay. Thank you. And you've talked a little bit about how you prepared and, and staff training and, and it sounds like you had a bit of a working group to look at look at some patients that you felt might be vulnerable. What, what was the workload like? I guess it sounds like initially there was a bit of work to be done, but sort of going forward now you've settled into the process. What's the workload like? Is it significant? So in terms of the work we did to prepare, yes, it was kind of writing a training session um, that was relevant to us, taking bits from some of the webinars we attended. Um, and the, the key, we've got 180 staff and partners, so the difficulty was running enough training sessions to cover all of them, um, but again, giving the same message to them. But in terms of the workload, then during Go Live was really nothing at all um, because it is all prospect of access. Um, since then, it's been very little. I would argue that workload for our staff is less because they're now there's less calls coming in for test results. There are less um, less intricacies with system online um, and pushing the NHS app is so much easier at reception. We did do a produce a little leaflet on how to set yourself up um, and all the information on the NHS app. Um, so a patient information leaflet for that, which was good in terms of workload for uh, GPs. Um, I think it's been really interesting talking to GPs around how they felt it um, because that was the biggest area of concern, I guess, in terms of um, kind of uh, kickback on what they had written in consultations and so on. I think there has been um, some additional conversations that have had to have had where patients have gone away, they've looked at the consultation and then they didn't understand what the GP potentially had written. Um, and then so they sometimes has had to be then another conversation with the GP explaining why they wrote that or what they meant by that. Um, talking to other GPs, it's been fascinating that actually they have, although they've online access has been available for ages. And I said to you that we had already had 25% of our patients with detailed um, access that um, what they've what GPs have done certainly is probably, if anything, shortened their consultations um, to really kind of summarize them and put less kind of long-winded information in there. So there is less, so it so really is a summary rather than the patient reading it and seeing it as a very much a kind of um, full minutes of, of their conversation. And that way, there's actually seems to be much less um, kickback uh, kickback from it. Um, the community teams um, and some of the other people that write into our record um, still write very long consultations, but of course those aren't available to the patients because it's only the local record that the patients can see. Um, but yes, and some of our health and wellbeing teams who historically used to write quite a lot in the record, again, have learned to actually write less. So from a workload perspective, they're spending less time writing consultations. And I think um, whilst there has been a little bit of um, 
some kind of translation needed in some of the abbreviations and so on, they would say on balance, um, it's been, um, it hasn't really affected them. They haven't really noticed. Um, it hasn't really been, been an impact either way. So the net result for the practice as a whole is probably um, a positive one, I would suggest. Okay, that's really reassuring. I just wanted to pick up on one thing that you mentioned, because I think I know it's another area of concern that I've heard people raise, and that's about test results and filing of test results. And I know one of the things that people are quite nervous about or have mentioned that they're quite nervous about is the potential or how you manage the risk around a patient seeing a test result, maybe for something like a cancer diagnosis, before the clinician has had an, an opportunity to talk to them about it. And I just wondered... What was your process around sort of filing or making sure that the clinician had the opportunity to speak to the patient before they sort see those sorts of test results? I think the principle of, of obviously they understand that it um, they won't be uh, visible until they're filed means that um, I think that's the key bit that they need to understand. Um, and obviously once they file it, yes, it could be seen. So often, yes, they may not file the result then until they, which is potentially different to what they may have done where they may have previously filed it. And then if necessary, set up a telephone conversation or consultation, um, but they, they will not, you know, now file it until they've done so. So it's all about them, them remembering and realizing you know, this this principle that as soon as it's filed, as soon as the consultation is saved, as soon as the letter is um, is filed on there as well, on the record as well, it's potentially visible. Okay, thank you. And I guess I'm I'm just interested to know, you touched on it a little bit already perhaps, but but how did you how did you um broach this with patients? Did you do any awareness raising? Did you talk to your people? patient participation group um did you i think you've mentioned some leaflets and that kind of stuff so so what was your approach to patients so we talked to the patients about it in a very positive um way in terms of our patient participation group obviously they were um so that was very easy because we have regular meetings with our ppg so that was fine we did um put a piece on the website um which was um good i think we Partly did a little bit of a soft launch um, on purpose. I know that some practices have actually texted all their patients um, or those who've got texts to say it's now available. We didn't go down that route. It was more of a kind of soft launch um, so that actually because of that perhaps slight apprehension of, of, of not wanting. But of course, for most people, they wouldn't see anything from day one because it's prospective access. So it's not like some, suddenly everybody's looking through their entire medical history um so it really wasn't it really wasn't that um sudden bang that that we might have kind of thought they might be um but it was kind of more of a soft launch so we put a big piece on the website a key thing for us was at, at our front reception desks was really pushing people to the nhs app um, a lot of people had had it anyway during covid but surprisingly not as many as we thought um, and so there was an opportunity to push that, hence the patient information leaflet on um, on the benefits of the NHS app and how to register for it. Um, or indeed, not just the app, but the website, because the same thing is on the website if they don't have smartphones. So um, that was kind of key, um, key for us. So a bit of a soft launch just helped it, um, helped it be less of a, a big news story. Okay. 
Thank you. And you have already touched a bit on community teams, so so you may have answered this, but I just wondered about your ARS staff. Is the programme relevant for them? Um, Absolutely. Have you heard too much of wider? I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, our ARS staff are part of very much, well, they're all part of everyone's team, but because we're, on, we're a single practice, single PCN, they use System 1. They're not using a separate system. They're all recording in our system, and obviously a lot of them are, entering data into consultations um, and that comes under our local record so all of them um, had exactly the same training as i say they were probably the most important people to train because they were the least experienced having recently joined our team gps have been doing this for many many years and, and as i say online access has been available for many uh, for quite a few years some of our staff perhaps needed more training in terms of understanding the impact of what they were writing in consultations. Um, so it was as, as important for them as it was for anyone else, particularly as they were probably writing the, the lengthiest consultations out of anyone. The not our staff, it's worth mentioning our reception teams as well. So for us, our reception teams were often writing in um, consultations, particularly if they'd had a difficult experience with the patient which, you know, we used to think, well, it's fair enough, if, you know, and they would write the details in a consultation. We've since decided that really consultations should be for clinical matters rather than kind of admin matters. So if they would had a difficult patient or a difficult conversation and they needed to share that and record it, which is absolutely fair enough, then they use tasks rather than the um, kind of consultation screen to do that, which means obviously tasks are not seen by the patients. Um, and it's a very good way of auditing things anyway. It's still on, on the record, but it's not part of that visible record. Um, so it tidies that up a little bit. Um, other practices will, I'm sure, have been, some of them will have not, not been using consultations for the kind of receptionists to write in, but others will. And so that's just the other thing we um, found was, was a part of our process of going live. That's really helpful. That's a really good tip. And and generally, what has the feedback, if any, from patients been? Do you think they're reasonably happy? Has anybody particularly um, exercised about it or has it been quite positive? I think it's been um, really positive. I think maybe because of the soft launch, we're still educating our patients kind of eight months on. Um, so um, I think it's really good when patients do you know, talk to doctor about, you know, can have a test result and the doctor can say, oh, and you can see your test result um, on, you know, NHS app. I think often when patients, again, when they were phoning in and say, oh, I need a copy of my record or I need this information for the insurance company, it's great that we can say, oh, you could just, you know, print it out from your NHS app. Um, so there's lots of really positive things and the patients go kind of reaction is, oh, yeah, that's, you know, good. So it does help them take a little bit more control of their um, health record. And that's the that's what we want, isn't it? It's for them to not need to contact us for unnecessary things and, and every little every little bit helps. So from that perspective, that's a positive thing. They don't have to sit on the phone. They don't have to contact us. There's more information they've got available to them. So I think for those that are using it, yes, I think, yeah, like in any group of patients, there's going to be the odd one that's difficult. But a lot of those were ones that had online access anyway. Um, and um, we're looking at their records um, anyway in terms of some of the more um, patients that may have kind of, you know, queried or questioned things a bit more. So, yeah, hasn't been a big deal. I think overall, yes, I would say from a patient perspective, 
it, it should be a positive. And as the NHS app develops um, and, you know, more functionality is there, hopefully we want them to see it as the, you know, as, as a really useful resource and somewhere they go um, to get A, their information and B, yeah, not need to contact us. Absolutely. Let's hope it takes a bit of pressure off the practice. And I guess my, my final question for you is, if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything differently? Hmm. That's a, um, a good question. Um, I think probably you can never communicate enough. I think we did a lot of training. I think the, invis- the invisibility thing for me, it was the bit that once people got to grips with that, then they were slightly more comfortable um, and understanding which um, which bits or which which bits to make invisible and which bits not to make invisible. I guess maybe we could have been a bit more specific around that because we probably had to answer quite a few queries from our staff. Should I make this invisible? Shouldn't I make this invisible? So I think you can always um, there, but it was quite yeah quite tricky. But um, but I think because you know because you're going live and it's only then. Um, from that day onwards, people are seeing um, seeing things, and actually, it's a really good opportunity to, um, you know, as I say, to uh, consider you know cons- consultations or what you are recording. Um, but I'm not sure I would, yeah, change much at all. But because I think, yeah, do make sure everyone's trained, make sure they understand, um, and um, otherwise, it's reasonably smooth. And I, I think that's, you know, yes, that's my view, but I think. Certainly, everyone I've spoken to in our local in the New Forest area that's done it, no, no one has has come across. No one I'm aware of has come across any major problems, um, or or experienced any massive workload issues or, um, you know, safeguarding nightmares. But it just takes a bit of preparation to make sure you've covered those bases that we've kind of discussed. Really, great, Matt. That's that's so helpful. Thank you. That's really useful insight. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. And I guess just to finish, um, a quick reminder on the individual clinical systems. Um, I understand that TPP practices can can update their, their systems themselves. There's lots of information on the NHS digital website. Or if you have a login, which is very easy to get on the NHS futures. Um, ditto um, information is available for EMAS practices also. And I understand they need to complete an opt-in form. And at, at the moment, we believe that the, the last available date is the 19th of September, but we're just going to watch that space and see if that changes. Um, so brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. Thank you. Okay, no problem. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.